Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Ruth 4, 1 through 8. And I, I, I apologize, this is not the King James translation, which I normally use. This is a different translation, so it's a little bit more contemporary, but here's the verses I want to read. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city. Now there's a reason for 10. So, and said, come sit here. So he's got 10 men from the city, himself and another man. And how many does that total? 10 plus 12, 12. Remember, 12 sons of Jacob, 12 apostles to the Lamb, 12 gates to the city, 12 foundations. 12 is government, perfect government. All right. And he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you do not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you. Now, this is Boaz. Boaz is called kinsman redeemer, a relative who has the ability to purchase back something which has been lost, kinsman redeemer. Then tell me that I may know, for there is no other but you. And I am next after you. So in other words, this man, he's speaking, is a relative of the husband, and he can purchase it back, but Boaz has first rights, and this is this first rights. And Boaz said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, and I know this gets a little confusing right here, but you'll get it in a minute, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. Mm, I'm going somewhere. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he took off his shoe. Or as one translation says, he took off his sandal. There are approximately, in the original part of the story or the early part of the story, you will discover about six characters and individuals. You have a man by the name of Elimelech who was the husband of a woman named Naomi. And you discover that they have two sons. One is called Kilion and the other is called Mehelon. And they go into the land of Moab and the two sons, Kilion and Mehelon, end up marrying two Moabite women. They being Jewish, by, by law, should have married Jewish women, but they did not. They instead married Moabite, a Moabite by the name of Ruth and a Moabite by the name of Ortha. Now, what I'd like to share with you is Elimelech, Melech is king, 
And Elah, El or Eli is the name of God, and his name means God is king. Naomi can actually be pleasant, a pleasant one or a pleasant person. Now keep that in mind in just a few moments later. Uh, Kilion, here's what's interesting, and Nehalon means, actually their names mean pining away and withering. Pining away and withering. Now, it, it is indicated by some scholars of Hebrew that because a child was often named when it was born, something prophetic, that it's likely that both of these sons could have been twins, and both of them were born with a defect, a physical defect that they saw at birth that later emerged and developed the older they got, which eventually led to their early and premature death sometime after they married the two Moabite women. This is the setting of chapter one in the book of Ruth. But that is just the introduction. I haven't started preaching just yet. Now, when you continue to read, we need to discuss the two territories that are a part of this narrative. There is one territory called Moab, and there is another territory called Bethlehem or Bethlehem in Hebrew. These are two opposite territories that are across from one another, one on a mountain in Israel and the other on the mountain in the country of Jordan. Now, the story of Moab is not a pretty one because Lot, if you will remember, was drunk in a cave after the destruction of four cities and his daughters, both of them, became pregnant through their father. Now, that's a perverse thing, but I'd like to explain to you what actually happened. When you read the text of Genesis, the women, the two daughters believed that the entire world had been destroyed and there were no men left. And they said it there when they were there alone with their father. You see, they understood something. You have to go back in history to get this. Josephus, the Jewish historian, noted that God gave Adam, the first man, a revelation of what would happen in the future after he fell from the garden. God said to him, the earth is going to be destroyed two times. Once will be the violence of water, and following that will be a destruction by fire. Josephus said that this information was passed on from Adam to Seth, and Seth actually handed it down to his sons who wrote it in brick and stone. Josephus said that the story of that prophecy existed in his day and he'd seen it on a brick, apparently, or stone in the land of Sariot, which is somewhere in Egypt. My point is simply this, that the flood of Noah had taken place 1,656 years after Adam. And that over a close to 400 years later, a major destruction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim by fire had taken place. They knew the prophecy. They remember the flood. So now they're thinking there's no one left. They're in the plain. They're in the valley. They see no one. All men have been destroyed. So they think they must carry on their father's name. They, they did what we would say a right thing in a wrong way. And people consistently do right things, but they do it in a wrong way. The law said to carry on the family name, but that's not how you do it. Talk to me, somebody. Now, if I had written the Bible, I'd have left that out. Jesus, help me now. But uh, I didn't write it. Moses did. Now, uh, he wrote the five books, I should say. Now, let's go on a little further because Moab is the, called the land of the Moabites. 
So in Genesis chapter 19, 37, we find the story of how the birth of this nation came into existence. So listen to me carefully. They were not a popular people. They definitely were hated by the Jewish people. Please keep that in mind as we continue with the story. Then we come to the city called Bethlehem. Bet, house. Lehem, bread. The house of bread. Why is it called the house of bread? Because the, all of the grain, they were known for the grain fields. They grew barley in the spring. They grew wheat in early summer. And believe this or not, when they made the shoe bread for the tabernacle of Mo, of, I'm sorry, for the tabernacle when it came to the promised land eventually, and they made the bread for the temple especially, the grain came from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was known for two great things. It was known for grain fields. It was known for the bread, but it was also known uh, for the production of baby lambs. Now, you might not know this, but there was something called the watchtower in Bethlehem. And that watchtower guarded the entrance. And near the watchtower, according to historians, there was a place where baby lambs were born. Do you know what a shepherd would do often when a baby lamb was born? Mm, he wrapped it in swaddling clothes. I'm talking about Bethlehem. And the lambs that were chosen for the offering in the morning and the offering in the evening, guess where they came from? They came from Bethlehem's flocks. So Jesus, the Messiah, is born in the city of David. And he's born in Bethlehem. And he says, I am the bread come down from heaven. And he, John says, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away this. I have not started preaching yet. Uh, that takes away the sins of the world. Uh, now, the interesting thing about the story, I'm about to wax eloquent in just a moment. I feel the Holy Ghost. Uh, I, uh, if I was in a black church, I'd say I feel my help coming on. <laughs> Now, I want to tell you what begins to happen that doesn't make any sense. What begins to happen is famine in the house of bread. And the Bible says that a famine came to the city of Bethlehem. How can this be possible? What about this strange enigma, enigma that in the house of bread, where the grain fields grow, where the temple bread for the priest is made, how can you have a famine in the house of bread? It just doesn't make any sense. For something to dry. Why do you have a famine? How does a famine come? Read your Bible. A famine comes because of a lack of rain. When, the, when it quits raining in the land, you will suddenly have a famine in the house of bread. And so what happens to churches is they go through a dry spell. And they go through a spell where the Spirit of God is not raining and being poured out the way that it should. And when they go through a dry spell, suddenly it seems like they're not being aqua quote, fed like I used to be. Well, pastor used to feed me, but I just tell you, it's just kind of dry out there now. And I haven't been fed in a long, long, long time. And the problem is not the pastor. The problem is the fact that you quit moving in the spirit. Because as long as you're moving in the spirit, you're going to have rain. As long as you're going to have rain, you're going to have seed to plant. And as long as you got rain and seed to plant, you're going to have bread to eat. So please understand that when things dry up in the house of God, 
it's because of a lack of the flowing of the rain and a lack of the flowing of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to do one or two things when it gets dry in the house of bread. You're going to either do what Boaz did and hang on and stay right where you're planted. Or you're going to do like Naomi and Elimelech and Mehon and Kilion did. They said it's dried up here. We're going to go and cross the river and we're going to go over there and live in the land of Moab. I want to talk to you for a moment about when things don't go your way in church. Because when things don't go your way in church, you will have a tendency of bailing out and trying to find the next place that, I quote, God is leading you to. And you better watch it because you might get to that place called Church of Moab and find out that there's death waiting there, that there's destruction waiting there, that there's something not good going to happen there. And I was puzzled. It still puzzled me, and I have no biblical answer, Hebrew scripture answer, nor do I have an answer in rabbinical teaching of Why does Boaz decide, ah, you hear me, his grain fields were in Bethlehem, but I don't read where Boaz bailed out. Boaz stood there and said, this is my land. Nobody's going to run me from it. The devil ain't going to make me leave, and just because it ain't raining, I'll have to put up with it a while, but I'm not leaving because Boaz's attitude was, we've had a famine before. Israel has survived famines before. We've gone through worse things than this, so what I think I'm going do is I'm going to stay right where I am. I got a word for some of you. Don't be bailing out on a building project. Don't be bailing out before the church is finished. Don't, because you're about to come into something. You got to keep on hanging in where God has planted you because the rain's coming. The outpouring's coming. The revival's coming. Woo! Jesus, Jesus. Well, when famine comes, you will either get out or you'll stay close. You'll hang on and leave. So they left. When they left, something very bad happened. We don't know the exact year nor time, but we do know the Mahalon and Kilion became sick. They'd gotten married. One was to a woman by the name of Ruth, a Moabite. The other was to a woman named Orpha, who was also a Moabite. And uh, the husbands died. Now, not only did the husbands of Ruth and Orpha die, but the husband of Naomi died, Elimelech. Strange thing happened. She heard after years, after all these years go by, she hears there's bread back home. She's heard there's bread in the house of bread. She heard there's prosperity back in Bethlehem. Well, and so she says, now watch what she does because it's very interesting. She has two daughter-in-laws, one Ruth and one Orpah. And it's interesting because she now says, my name was Naomi, was pleasant, but I'm Mara now. I'm bitter. That means bitter, bitterness or bitter. So she said, I can't, watch this now. I left Bethlehem happy, even in a famine. But now I'm leaving Moab bitter because things didn't go like they were supposed to. Mm, I don't know who I'm talking to or if I'm prophesying, but you better listen to the word of the Lord from the Tennessee preacher tonight. Well, here's what's interesting. Instead of encouraging her daughter-in-law, who were now family to her, to go with her into a place of blessing and prosperity, 
she tries to talk him out of it. But I'm an old woman. Now, this is bitterness talking. I'm an old woman, and I ain't happy. So if you travel with me, you ain't going to be happy. And we get to where we're going, we ain't going to be happy. And I'm too old to have another son for you to sit around and marry. So y'all just stay where you're at. Watch this. She is so bitter that she's willing to leave them in a land of death with memories of death and memories of bad things instead of taking them to a place where they could be blessed. Talk to me, somebody. I've seen more offended and bitter people in the past 18 months of my life than I have my entire combination combined. And I'm telling you, when people get bitter, when they get offended, and when they get angry, they don't want you blessed. They don't want you prosperous. They'll do everything they can to make sure that you're miserable. I don't know why I'm preaching this, but I'm going to preach it anyhow. And you'll discover that when people leave mad and they leave offended and bitter and angry, what they will try to do is take you, and there you are blessed, and there you are in Bethlehem, and there you are prospering, and they'll try to talk you into leaving your land to go over there to where they are miserable. And the Lord told me why. Because they know that you're in the middle of a blessing and they don't want you to get what they can't have. Woo! Now they don't, they, they don't want you experiencing what they can't experience. They've left, they've gone on, they've moved on. And so Naomi, instead of encouraging those girls, but I'm gonna tell you, Orpah said, here's what the Bible said. The Bible said that Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, just kissed her, but it says Ruth clave unto her. I mean, she grabbed a hold of her arm. And all that Orpah said was, I understand, and kissed her goodbye. But Ruth said, hold on just a minute here. Uh, where you go, I will go. Where you dwell, I will dwell. Your God shall be my God, and your people shall be my people. You can't talk somebody out of a blessing when they got a taste of it. Mm. When you've tasted the power of the Holy Spirit, they can't tell you the Holy Spirit's not real. When you've spoken in tongues, they can't tell you it's of the devil. When you've worshipped and you felt a touch of heaven in your soul, they can't tell you it's emotionalism. I don't know the difference between an orphan and a roof except explaining it this way. There are kissers and then there are cleavers. And a kisser is somebody that'll kiss you and run. They'll kiss you and stab you in the back. They'll kiss you and still talk about you. They'll pat you on the back and tell you how great you are and run out of the church and run their mouth on you. So there's kissers, but then there's cleavers. There's people that said, I'm not letting go till he blesses me. I'm hanging in there till I see what he prophesied over me. You got to understand, I, I don't know what I'm saying right now, but I know by the Spirit. Somebody know, needs to know this. This church has got prophecies over it. There's been men behind the There's been men of God standing in this platform over the years, over the past six and a half, seven years, and they've told you what God's going to do, and they've spoken over you, and you said, but I haven't seen it yet, but wait a minute. You don't need to be a kisser and run off. Yeah, let me say it this way. There's daters and there's romancers. And a dater is somebody that just wants to look at you and get a kiss off of you and then leave you alone. And if you don't kiss good enough, they're going to go to the next girl or guy and find, go, I'm going to preach here. And find somebody who will. Uh -huh. uh, 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 a, dater, a dater is somebody that will just pick you up on the date, take you out, and talk about you when it's over with. But a romancer will send you flowers before the date. A romancer will include a nice card with the flowers. A, a romancer will open the door for you. I treat my wife that way all the time. A romancer will take her out to dinner when she wants to go out and eat to her favorite place. So you can date God or you can romance. You can romance the stone. Come on, somebody. 
somebody. You can either date him, show up on a Sunday morning, say, ain't you glad to see me, God? You got an hour and a half to bless me. Or you can say, fooey on that. I love his presence too much. You see, when you really were in love, you couldn't wait. You couldn't wait to get on the phone and you talk an hour and run up a bill. When you were in love, you texted the phone about fell off. You'd have to get you another text and plan to add more hours. Am I talking to somebody that knows what I'm talking about? You see, when you're in love, you can't wait to see him. When you're in love, you can't wait to work his over to take him out. And I'm going to talk to you about God. You can date God or you can romance him. You can just come to church and care. You know what, Ruth? You know what Orpah was? A kisser. You know what the word worship in Greek means? Proskuneo means to kiss toward. That's what it means, to kiss toward. But too many people are blowing God kisses on Sunday for two hours, say, see you when I see you. But I'm telling you that when you love him, when you love him, you want to be like Ruth and say, I'm cleaving. I'm going where he's going. I'll be where he is. I'll be at the revival. I'll be in the weekend meeting. I'll be at church. Why? Because I love to be in the presence of the God that redeemed me from the pit of hell, set my feet on a rock, established my going, delivered me from the powers of darkness. Hey, hey, someone in Alaska help me. Praise God in this house right now. Glory to his name. Now, it's one thing to say you're going back home. It's one thing to go back to the church you left. Right? That's what they're doing. Bethlehem, house of bread. They're going back to where they left. I mean, year, you know, all these years, years, 10 years, years has gone by. Things have changed. So they get back there, and Naomi says this, I came out full. I went out full, she said. I went out full, but I came back empty. She has no husband. She has no sons. She has no immediate relative, although her husband has family. That's part of the story. She's lost her house. She's lost her property. And she has a Moabite with her. Now, let me explain to you about this Moabite deal. Ruth, let me explain to you about Ruth. If Ruth were living today, she may have an advantage because society has changed. But think about this for just a moment. First of all, she is a woman who is a widow. She has no social security. It did not exist. She has no insurance. It does not exist. She has no government subsidies. They did not exist. Therefore, she has no financial means at all. And she has no man to take care of her because the men were the providers they have no property technically to live in because they've lost it during the time that they were in the famine. And here's the thing I want to tell you. She was considered a real minority in this Jewish town. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 23 and 3. And an Amorite or a Moabite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord even to their 10th generation. They shall not enter the congregation of the Lord because of what the Moabites did to the Israelites. So you must understand the picture here. It's one thing for a wealthy Jewish family to go to Moab. Ain't nobody going to say nothing. But when this young woman who's considered a minority in her day, uh -huh, who, lo who looks a little different, Acts a little different. Culture is a little different. And she's headed into this strict Jewish town, the city that would later be the city of Messiah and David. She is looked 
down upon. But she had one thing going for her. You say, well, what was it? She was hot. know how to say it any other way. I'm just blunt. She was 10 plus. She turned heads. Y'all listen to me. I hope somebody's at. Get, 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 quit, quit acting so spiritual. You ain't that spiritual. No, 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 no. You ain't that spiritual. You talk like that at home all the time. When you look at your wife and hug, oh, yeah, you're the hunk, you're the hot, you're the hulk. what some of the women do. Some of the women say, well, I'm just waiting for my Boaz. And you don't wait long enough and you get lazy ass, stupid ass, dumb ass, crazy ass. Wait for my Boaz. I'm waiting for my Boaz. Yeah, you get an ass all right. I'm going to wait until pa- Pastor recovers from his seizure on the front row before, before, before I keep preaching. Well, 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 I know I've been changed. <laughs> now, she's ste- now, think about this. She's stepping in a very precarious situation. And she's got, mm, she got three things going on that's good. Number one, she's just good looking. She's beautiful. That's, that's you know, come, come on. Look, if you got a gift, use it. If you got a gift, use it. I mean, you're beautiful. I mean, hey, you can get you a rich husband. I got a friend of mine, you know him. He married a girl. She's tw- he's 20-some 20 20 some years older than, than she is, you know, and, and <laughs> He told my daughter, this guy told my daughter, he said to Amanda, he said, Amanda, don't worry about how old the guy is. Marry for money. Love will come. <laughs> he's pretty rich, so she's pre- he's pretty rich, so marry for money. Love will come. She had something going. She's beautiful. Watch this now. Number two, it's harvest time. That's very important. This is important in this narrative. And number three, Naomi had a, there was a relative of her husband's that could redeem back what they had lost. Now, ha, here's what we call a divine setup. And I've been preaching 46 years, and I'm going to stop and tell you something that I have learned by experience. You must remember that what looks like a setback will usually be a setup. What looks like it's not working for you is not working only at that time for you. But God is behind the scenes. Now watch the setup. Watch how crazy this setup is. Because Because it's harvest time, Naomi asked permission by the, the nearest kin, Boaz, is it okay if this lovely young lady can work in the field? And Boaz said, certainly. Now, I'm going to give you a verse in the King James, and I could plow right here for 20 minutes. I will not. I'll spend three minutes on it. Listen to this verse in the Bible in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 3. And she went 
and came in the came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her quote hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was a relative of Elimelech. Now I want somebody to say this out loud with me. She happened on a hat. This is a very strange word here because it doesn't appear in the Bible. It appears here. And it happens to come from a Hebrew word, mikre, which means befallen by chance, by event, or by fortune. The root word means mm-hmm, happened, happening, happened. So we would say it this way. I just happened to go to the store and run into an old friend. I just happened to be in the area and thought I would drop by. Oh, my wife happened to get pregnant. No, she didn't. Faith without works is dead. I don't know. I don't know if you need a class on what happened. But no, she didn't just happen to get pregnant. It will happen if we can believe it. So here's the thing I want to tell you, good God Almighty. Psalms 37 and 23 says, The footsteps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. The Amplified said, The steps of a good man are ordered and established by God. Today's English version reads, The Lord guides a man in his way that he should go and protest and protect protest those pleas that are pleasing to him. God says this, there's nothing that happens in my kingdom that's just a hap. I got to preach this thing out of my spirit because I feel it in my spirit. Well, we just happened to get lucky. No, you didn't just happen to get lucky. Well, we just happened to be at the right place at the right time. No, 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 no. You don't, you were not just happy, happened to be at the right place at the right time. I've come by to tell somebody God controls the hap. God, I said God controls the hap. He controls what happened. He controls what's happening. He controls what will be happened. And when you come across something that's going to bless you, it didn't happen by luck. It didn't happen because you were better than somebody else. It happened because you had the favor of God. But because you have the favor of God, he will control the hap. He'll make something happen that you're not expecting. He'll cause you to come into an unexpected blessing. And you won't have to say it just happened. You will say, God, let me come into my hap. Touch a neighbor say, God's going to let you come into your hap. Somebody watching me needs to get a revelation. Pat yourself on the head, slap yourself on the forehead, and say, God's going to let me come into my hap. So now, I want to show you the progression here. This progression is bizarre. I will give you the verse. So Ruth mm, is gleaning. Let me explain to you the law of gleaning. The law of gleaning is when they, this was in the law of, of God. When they, let's say, let's say this church is a field. They would harvest all of it except the corner, the corner, that corner, and this corner, or the four corners. They would leave standing grain in the four corners. 
They also do this to vineyards. They would harvest the vineyards, but near the top and the olive trees at the top, they would leave olives or grapes on the vine. And the reason was that God said, I allow you to do this for the poor and the stranger among you. So if there's a poor man in your village and they don't have food, he can go to the corner and he can glean. She was a stranger. She was a Moabite. She didn't belong there, but she got some favor because God said, I got a hat for you. Now watch what she's doing. She's in the corner gleaning. You've got your office desk at the office in the corner. You're, you're doing the work behind the scenes. You're the person that when the lights go out, that's running the vacuum cleaner and pushing the broom when nobody's watching. You're the person out there in the parking lot in the dark when it gets dark and when it's light and when it's cold and when it's raining and when it's snowing and when it's hot, warm. I ain't going to say hot in Alaska. I ain't seen hot yet. <laughs> Tennessee's at 95 degrees, baby. That's hot, okay? I'm just telling you. That's hot. That's miserably hot. <laughs> this is nice. I like it. But see, you're the person in the parking lot when nobody's complimenting you, patting you on the back, and you're doing it because... It needs to be done, and you're good at doing it. You know how to make them cards look good. You know how to make them. You know how to park it there where they can get in and they can get out. But see, nobody's bragging on you. You're the person that's pastor saying, "I need some copies," and you're running that little copy machine in the corner of the office, and nobody's giving you pay raise. You're the one volunteering. You're volunteering, making sure that everything's running smooth. You might think that nobody's watching you just because you're in a corner. But I want you to know that Boaz started looking at her, watching her while she's working in the corner. And I'm not talking fleshly men here. I'm talking about you got a heavenly Boaz who's watching you do the work in the corner. When nobody else is patting you on the back and your name is not in the light and it's not even in the bulletin, you got a Boaz saying, don't you worry about it. I got my eye on you in the corner because here's my point. Ready? You're not going to be in the corner forever and I'm going to prove it. The next thing that happened to her, Ruth chapter 3 and verse 6 says mm, that he saw her and said to the gleaners of the field, the reapers, put some handfuls on purpose down. So as she's gleaning, doing her normal work, she looks down, and there's a pile of grain laying there. That's her corner. You know what that means? She ain't got to share that with nobody. She can take that home. Now, that's just the little pay raise you get. 50 cents an hour. Dollar an hour. Doesn't seem like a lot. But guess what? It's better than what you had. So God lets you start where nobody knows you. Nobody knows anything about you. You're just out there just trying to obey God. And then he'll every now and then, here's what he'll do to show you he's there. He'll just have somebody slip you a $100 bill, $50 bill, 20 Just say, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this. I just feel that good. He'll have somebody pay for your gas. Some of you act like it ain't happened to you yet. That's because you've been in COVID, <laughs> 
That's because we've been locked up. We ain't had a chance to get out here where everything's flowing and blowing. Come on, I said God's about to bless somebody. God's about to bring you out of your corner. God's about, I, you better receive it right now in the name of the Lord that God about to take you back out in the town, take you back out in the business, take you back out where you were and bless you. So she's in the corner. Now she gets some handfuls on purpose. You ready? But I like Luke, uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 15. Now I'm going to read this to you because here's your process. Naomi says to her, he's got a pot. Boaz has this big pile of grain, huge. And he wants to make sure nobody sneaks in at night and steals it. So he's going to be sleeping by the grain pile. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read it to you. Watch the process. Wash thyself. Naomi's telling Ruth to do this. Wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on good clothes. And upon thee, get thee down to the floor. This is a threshing floor. She's going to have to go now to the last place before she gets her breakthrough, which is a threshing floor. I'm telling you something. Threshing floors are not nice places normally. A threshing floor is where the separating process takes place. If you know anything about an old threshing floor, it's where they would take a, that thing called a tribulum in the Roman time, and they would run it over top of that grain, and they'd press that grain, and they'd separate the wheat from the chaff. A, a threshing floor is what some of you going to have to go through for God to get the junk off of you. There's some chaff hanging on you that God wants off of you. There's some patterns that you've developed that God says, I don't like that pattern where it's going. There's some things. I Look, I almost died. I could be dead in two and a half years, according to my doctor. You know why? Because I was getting three and a half to four hours sleep a night for three years. I was getting up at three o'clock in the morning doing Facebook, going to my office at 3.30 in the morning, worked six hours before anybody of my staff ever got there and was the last one to leave, then would preach every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from somewhere between five to eight services a weekend and fly back out Sunday night and be in my office Monday through Friday. Now, my body could do it for a while, but it starts shutting down. So every now and then, God will lay you on a threshing floor and say, now, we're going to get some of this thinking off of you. We're going to get some of these, this idea of how you're running things off of you. And I'm going to tell you, it don't feel good when he's doing it, but it sure enough feels good when you get up off the floor. <laughs> Woo! God, I feel like I shout and take a lap around this building right now. You feel free and liberated. So he says to her, she says, get to the threshing floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down. Now, this is not a sexual thing because people have read this in the past and they, they, they freak out. You shall mark the place where he shall lie. You shall go in and uncover his feet and lay, down, and lay thee down and he will tell thee what you shall do. So in other words, she had this long dress and she was to cover his feet. And it's a whole Middle Eastern custom thing there. You, you got to understand, this is not some freaky, freaky Freddy deal. You know what I'm saying? This, this, there's a custom to this, and we don't have, this, we'd have to go off track, and I don't want to do that. Now, watch this, because I'm about to show you something. When she did this, she got up the next day, Ruth 3.15. Are you ready for this verse? And it said, this is talking about the grain, he laid it on her. 
She took the outer garment and held it out, and they poured grain. This is called, now if you want to know why Jesus uses this verse, it goes back to this. Men shall give to your bosom good measure. That's the measure. He's got grain. He's measuring it. He presses it down to get more in it. Good measure. Mm-hmm. Pressed down, shaken together. Watch this. And running over. She had so much grain. This is where this story, Jesus is telling a parable, but he can refer it back to this story in the book of Ruth because the Bible said he laid it on her. Let me just preach here from the gospel that says this. Here's what the gospel says in Matthew 13, 23. But he that receives seed in the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it and bears fruit and brings forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some 30-fold, some 60-fold. There is a 30-fold level. There is a 60-fold level level, there is a hundredfold level. When you are in your corner, you're only at a thirtyfold level. You haven't got there yet. You haven't even started getting there yet. But if you are faithful in the corner, if you're faithful in the little things, God will give you the bigger thing. If you walk through the small door, you ain't going to get a big door first. God's not going to throw you through a big door till he can trust you with a little door. The Bible said he will trust you with big things of your own when he can trust you for taking care of another man's stuff. Ah, hallelujah. So there's a thirtyfold in the corner. But if you keep on, you're going to move to a 60-fold where it says there were some handfuls on purpose. But when she got to that level where she had that outer robe out and they're pouring it on her and they're laying it on her, she has moved from 30-fold to 60-fold to 100-fold because 100-fold, baby, is when it's pressed down, shaken together, and it's running over. Because when it's running over, it's not just your blessing, but you got enough running over to put somebody else into a blessing. you got enough to bless somebody else. You got enough money to pay your tithe, give your offering, and then bless somebody else who needs it. If anybody wants to get from 30 to 60 to 100, you better clap your hands and bless the Lord before I keep on preaching. Woo, hallelujah. Now you might be wondering, see, that, that that's just a little bit of the uh, Salad, and that's the appetizer. But that's not the meat of the message. I'm now about to get to the meat because you might be asking me, why did you title this God in your shoes? I'm about to tell you why I titled it God in your shoes. Because the Bible says this, Deuteronomy 25, 9 through 10. First of all, when you lose the land, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So here's this family thing. There's a distant relative. You've got one who is a relative of the, of the husband, first guy. Then you've got this one that's a relative of Naomi named Boaz. Oh, my. Now, the law says this. If a husband dies... I'll I, I tell you something weird that was in that law, and thank God we're different under the new covenant, but in that law, if a husband died and had no children, the woman had to marry the brother of that man to have a child to carry on his name. God was so into the family name, he wanted no Jewish man's name to perish from the earth. Oh, the thought is depressing. Marrying your brother-in-law? 
You women need to say, that's right, preacher, because your husband's sitting beside you. You need to at least make him think you're crazy about him, okay? Y'all get this in a minute. I, I, I lost some of you right there on that one, but it was in the law. So here's what happens. If you did not do that and you lost land, let's say you lost land, the Bible says that you could go and redeem your land back. You had to have the nearest of kin. You had to go to the city gate. You had to get the elders, which in this case are 10, and you had to take your shoe off. Deuteronomy 25, 9 through 10 is where this is found. Then shall his brother's wife come to him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off of his foot. Now, if you know anything about loosing shoes, you have immediately taken your imagination and mind and thinking to the story of Moses. You've taken your, you've taken your mind to the story where Moses goes up on a mountain. <laughs> and God says to him, Moses, take thy shoes off thy feet. Ground your own is holy. But I want to bear out something that I studied this for years and never saw it till one day that God did not say to Boaz, take your shoes off. He said, take thy sandal, take thy shoes. So I wanted to go to the Bible and I wanted to find out why God said to Moses, shoes. But he said to Joshua, shoes. Joshua is told when he's at the edge of the promised land by the angel of God, take thy shoe off thy foot. And this is very puzzling because the angel says nothing to Joshua, for thou art on the promised land ground. Thou art on holy ground, like he said to Moses. So God says to Moses, both shoes. And God says to Joshua, just take off one. And I want to tell you why you take off one. Mm, because in the law, by taking off the shoe and giving it to that person, that is the sign to the elders that it gave you legal right to take back the land that you had lost. So God is saying to Joshua, you lost this land in 400 years. You went into Egypt 400 years. For 400 years, the Amalekites have invaded and taken over the land. The Hittites have taken over the land. Moabites have taken over the land. The Amorites, everybody. There's sevenites that have taken over this land. They think it belongs to them but I gave it to your father, Abraham. Abraham gave it to Isaac. Isaac gave it to Jacob. Jacob told his 12 sons, it's going to belong to you. But you got seven enemies. You got seven ites, and you're going to have to smite the ite to take back what the enemies tried to take from you. But here's what the Lord said. The Lord said, if you let me, if you hand me, Joshua, your shoe, 
I'm going to sign over legal rights that every city in that promised land is going to come back to you. That's why they had to march around Jericho seven times on the seventh day because everywhere their feet touched, God said, I'm going to give you the land. And they had to walk seven times. Seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfection. And when they blew the trumpet on the seventh, on the seventh day, the seventh time, the seventh march, and and they blew seven trumpets. Guess what happened? They didn't have to lift up a sword. They didn't have to fight with spears. What happened was that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And they walked over top of those walls and conquered the city. And they took on 30 other Canaanite cities. And the only one they had trouble with was the city of Ai, which is pronounced I in Hebrew, because they sinned against God. And when they got the sin out, the blessing started flowing. And the blessing didn't quit flowing until 30 cities were conquered and they took back that land because I'd like to tell you the spiritual principle when you take your shoe off because God's trying to God's trying to tell some of you it's bigger than you are the Lord's trying to tell some of you there's more you got to take than you can even think about God's trying to tell some of you that the enemy's tried to take your kids and your marriage and your family and your business and your land and your property and everything else so here's what the Lord's saying if you just take Take your shoe off. He said, you know what? As a matter of fact, take both of them off. Because what I'm about to do is step in your shoes. I'm going to step in your shoes. So you're not going to have to worry about the Canaanite. I'm going to step in your shoes and take over the Canaanite. You're not going to worry about the Amorite, the Moabite. David, you're not going to worry about a giant. I'm going to get in your shoes. Joshua, you ain't got to worry about Jericho. I'm going to get in your shoes. You can read it through the entire Bible. When you take your shoe off and you're saying, handing it to God, you're saying to God, there ain't nothing I can do about it. God said, that's okay. I, my feet will fit where yours won't. Come on, somebody. Help me pray. Somebody's getting a revelation right now. God's going to take this thing. God's going to seize this opportunity. Come on, you better praise him. You better praise Stop right there and give the altar call. What God wants to do, and don't ever forget this, what God wants to do is have his name magnified because they're cussing too much. What God wants to do is he wants to be glorified. And I'm going to tell you a little secret I found out a long time ago. God will do the most amazing things for you if you do, if all you do is give him glory. When he healed people in the New Testament, what did they do? They would go and tell his name would be glorified. They magnified him in the cities. They glorified him in Jerusalem. Hosanna. 
to the son of David. And then listen to me. If you will give him glory, God will do things that you didn't expect him to do. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.